We're going to see that in John 17 this morning. This was Jesus' mission, was to spread that word into these 12 men who then go on to spread the word of God to make more disciples. And it's really this. It's life-touching life, following Jesus, leading people to Jesus. This is, this is very organic. It's not many churches today, and that's to seek out any other mission or methodology to spread the gospel. They want to circumvent Christ. They want to go around the word of God. They want to propagate the gospel by marketing a cool, hip Jesus that isn't really, I'm sorry, it's not found in here. They want to manipulate people with music or they want to manipulate them with emotions instead of just clearly teaching the word of God, men teaching men the word, whether it's in the pulpit or life-touching life. Both matter. So you see no shortage of churches trying to market Jesus, trying to manipulate others through emotions to get conjured, caricatured results. To be a successful church in our day and age often requires implementing unscriptural, false methodology, whether it's satellite campuses, programs that get numbers without gospel life change, people that are an inch deep and a mile wide, Major lack of discipline, unrepentant sins, spineless pastors, disobedient children, then a f- false doctrinal beliefs, and churches that operate more as strategic business technicians, then a family of sinners becoming saints, being formed and fashioned by the word of God to live gospel-shaped lives. So my question for you this morning is this. Do you love the word who became flesh and dwelt among us? Do you love Christ? And if so, then you will love the word that he left behind for us. If so, how is the word of God not only changing you, but is that change of you by the word being used of God to at least change one other person? I want us to ask these questions today. So that our, our life-touching life relationships, it, that, that we really have a culture of disciple-making one with another here. So don't misunderstand my question. I'm not asking if you love to study the Word of God. Well, that's part of it. Like a seminary student who's freaking out for a huge test. That's, that's not what we're after. I'm asking, do you just simply love the Word of God? It will involve study. There are people who love to study the Word of God because they want others to be impressed by their knowledge of it. So their motive is not the opening pages of John 17, we'll see in a minute, which is to glorify God. Rather, they want to be seen much and made much of by others through their knowledge. That is not what we're after. Simply, I want us to see our mission as the church today is seen in John 17, primarily verses 1 through 8, and then verses 13 through 26. We'll go ahead and read this passage. If you please stand with me uh, in respect of the reading of God's word. In the Old Testament, when they brought the scriptures out, part of worship was they would bring out the scrolls, They would walk it through the church and they would clap, praising God that they get to hear the word of God. They shouted and gave God glory that the scrolls were going to be read. Are you that excited today to hear the pages open to you? Thank you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know that they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to them, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, speaking of the twelve, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that they have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Father, give us grace upon grace as we walk through this passage. May the Spirit of God take this word and encourage us. Give us joy. Would it strengthen us and embolden us? Would it shape us more and more in the gospel to reflect the image of your Son that we may do his work and glorify you? Amen. So again, we we come back to this theme All throughout the book of Acts, we saw God's mission is our mandate, it's our command, and it's our joy. The centrality of the word in propagating the gospel in Christ's high priestly prayer is really what we're going to talk about this morning. So again, the big question is this, do our lives value or esteem God's word as we ought so that it goes forth into our lives, into others' lives for God's glory? Because it pleases the Father to do this, to build up his body, the one true body, the one true church of Jesus Christ. So those that have a background in various Protestant circles are probably familiar with one of the solos of the Reformation. There's sola gratia, sola fide, there's all these different solas, and there's also sola scriptura, which just means this, simply, the Bible is our only rule of faith 
and practice. It is our faith, it's our doctrine, but it's also, also orthopraxy. It also means living that out in your life. You live it out by the word of God. And so in verse 8, John 17 and verse 8, we'll go back there for a minute. For I have given them the words that you gave me. What are those words? They're recorded in scripture for us, aren't they? It's this canon, the completed canon of scripture that we have. These words that you gave me. And they have received them, meaning they they didn't just take it in their head. They received it into their life. It changed them. They received these words and have come to know in truth that I came from you. To know Christ. That is the goal of scripture, isn't it? To really know Jesus. To love him to live for him, to esteem him, to walk with him. Verse 14, we see this again. I have given them your word. And what's the consequence of that? We saw it all throughout Acts. As the word was spreading from Jerusalem out, what was happening? Did the world just love them and accept everything through 16? No, they were convicted, and that's what the Holy Spirit came to bring. And we saw that last week in John 13 through 16. The Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction to the world. And through that, the word of God brings conviction, right? Consequently, we're going to be hated. We see that in 17 through 19 as well. So we're going to walk through these today. And the reformers understood. When I talk about the reformers, I'm talking about going back to Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Tyndale Wycliffe. These these reformers understood something. You want to know why everything exploded in Europe back in the 15, 1600s? Was it because more beautiful architecture was in Europe? There was some beautiful architecture. Is that why? Because people wore robes when they spoke up front in church? Was it because of all the ceremonies that they had in the churches? No, it was because the word of God was brought back to the center. That's what changed everything in that course of history. There was a dearth of doctrine and theology and knowledge of the scriptures. And what came back was... Pastor Jeremy alluded to this. Tyndale and Wycliffe, they, they, re, they took and translated the scripture into the people's tongue so that they could understand the word of God. They spoke in the people's tongue again instead of Latin. And great conviction took place, therefore great joy in the church exploded. They understood the need to bring the pulpit back to the center. How many of you have been in churches before where the pulpit is off to the side? Right? You've seen that. Some of the mainline Protestant churches, you go in and, yeah, thank God they have the Lord's table. They reverence that. We should. We're ministers of word and sacrament. But also, the pulpit was always the center of strong churches. That's the apex of of worship, is, is the word of God made alive. The Reformers understood this. I do believe that often we are not actively aware of all the ways the word of God benefits us. I don't think we think about that enough. The word of God does the work in our life in the following ways. The word of God reveals the will of God to us. Look at verse 6 in the second part there. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. So these disciples were given to Christ as a gift. And what about these disciples was so amazing? They kept your word. Did it mean perfectly? That word they're kept is, is just regarding, this is, they had a faithfulness in applying the word of God to their life. 
So the word of God also reveals the will of God to us. The word here shows us what is the will of God. That we keep the word of God. That's the highest will. There are many today who are, are extremely aimless. When I encounter young people, for instance, who, who want to know God's will for their life, right? What do they start doing? They start shifting about. They start searching for God's will. They start trying to run to the word of God or to their feelings. Which one do they tend to run to? Well, I feel like God wants me to do this, that, or the other thing. And you're thinking, there's no way, right? Open the book. Open the book. Walk and talk with God. There are many even seasoned Christians who will go times of doubting God's will for their life, and it may be that their Bibles are shut during that time. They haven't been communing with God as regularly as they ought. How arrogant we are to think that we can discover God's will with a closed Bible. How arrogant that is. It is the very scriptures that God uses to communicate his heart and his mind to humanity. And that is what humanity needs. Jesus did God's will in delivering the word to these 12. And in verse 20, it wasn't just for these 12, but for those after, that they were called to then therefore propagate the gospel and the word of God into thousands of others. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the supporter of truth. We are to seek God's will as a people in order that we go forth to give God's will to fallen sinners who need to become saints. This was Jesus' method. In John 17, 4, it says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing or finishing what? That work that you gave me to do. What was that work? Some of you may be thinking, boy, I thought that was John 19 which we're going to get there. When he said, I'm going to, I have finished my work. That's Christ's second work, right? Was the cross. But before he got to the cross, what was the finished work that he came to do? It was in giving the word to 12 men. He entrusted them with carrying the word of God to make more disciples. So this is the method of reproduction. What you've got is two aspects. Again, you've got the cross. He died there. He was restored to the Father and at the same time, he's showing us a picture here of how his work also involved how that message is going to be reproduced throughout the entire world. I think that's the picture we have in John 17. I have finished the work that you've given me to do. So notice in this prayer, he doesn't one time talk about the blind who can now see. He never talked about the demoniac who is filled. Remember him? He was not clothed and not in his right mind, and he was filled with a thousand demons. Isn't that something? And then he's clothed and in his right mind. I mean, just like that. Amazing miracles. The lame are walking. We have all these recorded. And what does he talk about his work being? Over 40 times, he mentions the men that God gave him. That's what he's focused on. He never mentions a miracle. He never mentions the masses or the multitudes. He mentions over 40 times, whether it's through pronouns or other ways, he mentions the 12 men that God gave him out of this world. God is interested in men and women being raised up to reflect him through bearing the word of God in their life and propagating it into others. He is entrusting fallen sinners become saints, mistakes and all, to spread the message of the gospel to follow his methodology. This work is not just to the 12, 
who are called to steward the gospel. But those 12 were charged to go and spread it to make more disciples. And here's a rule of thumb, church. Disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. That is God's intent. If he entrusts you with the word of God, he's entrusting you not to just hold on to it for yourself, but to see to it that you are making more disciples. A Christian is a follower of Christ who therefore will throughout his life, whether actively or passively, at some point he will be leading others to Christ. Notice that Jesus' prayer included not just these 12, but these 12 who will, uh, but other than these 12 who will come to believe. I think that's in verse 20. It says this, I do not ask for these only, that's the 12, but also for those who will believe. That's in the future. Who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And so when we see here that they are sanctified by the truth as well. The word of God is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them Alone, it says. And this is where disciples of Christ come after that, getting into verse 20. And that's including us today. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. They have been entrusted with the word to accomplish the mission of seeing others come to believe. And on and on this mission has gone forth, cycling through for thousands of years. Why are you saved today? You thought about that? Have you thought about your place in the course of church history? This is why church history is so important. It's amazing, isn't it? That 2,000 years later after this is written, you and I are sitting here together, going through this passage together to see what we're called to do. But what is... Is church for you what I can get from it, or is it much greater than that? Is church all about you, yourself? Is that what discipleship's about, just about you, yourself, and Jesus? Or is the whole intent propagation? I want us to think about that. This has cycled for thousands of years. We are saved because the word of God has gone forth through the lives of Christians. Christ's aim was to advance the message of redemption through a method of prayerful gospel-shaped reproduction. So, did they run programs? Did these 12 disciples go run programs? Was that their method? Did they memorize presentations? Here's three ways to get somebody to repeat a prayer after you. Was that what they did? Oh, I see that hand, or oh, I felt you squeeze it, or was that what they did? They didn't manipulate emotions to elicit a conjured response. They didn't worry about money. They simply lived for and preached Christ crucified, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, the glory of the Father. They taught the truth of Jesus Christ. They preached the scriptures. They gathered around the scriptures. They loved one another really well through prayer and through application of the word. It's pretty simple, isn't it? That's included in here, too, that they may know the love that we share. That is the fruit of this. 
They went forth in the power of the Spirit, armed with the sword of truth. There's a lot of Christians out there waging war and waging battle, and you left your sword at home. We're going to get into day, into a day and a time soon, I believe, where, where the, the battle, the spiritual battle is going to come to a head, and I don't think we're going to be properly prepared because we don't know the Scriptures. And I'm talking intimate, emotional, uh, life-changing knowledge of the Scripture. Our head may be aware of a lot of doctrine. But I'm not so sure we're armed with the truth and the sword of the Spirit to the degree that we ought to be yet. Christ's mission and Christ's method has not changed and it cannot change if we're going to properly go forth to see gospel change in people's lives. I was at Walmart last night. I don't know why. But I was at Walmart last night, and, and every time I go out into the community, I, I come back when I've been out and about with people, I, I come back very burdened. There are a lot of people who need the word of God in their life, desperately. We do. We know that. That's why we're here. You wouldn't be here if, if you didn't believe that. You're here because you know you need the word. So I want to commend you for your faithfulness in attending and giving yourself to the Word of God. But it's not just for us. We gather on Sunday so that when we go out, we go out changed and armed with the truth to reach people. And you say, I don't know any people. Well, then you're a major introvert. We're not interested in poaching people from other churches. We ought to be most interested in what Christ is interested in, which is taking really messed up people, and that's us too, taking really messed up people, teaching them the truth, and just walking patiently with them in life change through the word of God. That ought to be the aim. There are a lot of people in this community that need Christ. As I'm walking into Walmart, there's a dad barking at a son, and, and the kids are crying, and so that's us too sometimes, Okay. But I, my heart just broke just watching people. The way that they talk, the way that they are, and, and we are no better than them apart from Christ at all. But is your heart's concern for the broken and for the needy? We worship well as a church, we ought to. That's one focus upward to God, all glory to Him. We fellowship well. There's love here in this church like I've never experienced. That has radically changed me, been beneficial for me. But that's two pillars. That's, that's two parts to the stool of the church. And so how many of you tried to sit on a stool with just two pegs? What happens? You get a really strong core or you fall over. The third part of that stool needs to be evangelism. And I'm just going to be candid and honest. This is an awesome church. It's a strong church. You know the word of God. You're longing for the word of God. You're hungry. You're shaping your families. You're working on your children. And that's, that's primary. But a second aspect that I see missing is evangelism. There seems to be a lack of, of just a burden for really messed up people who need to come to know Jesus. My heart's there. I, I desire to see more people simply come to know Jesus. 
and walk in faith with God's people. There's a lot of people that, that Christ has their name written down and they haven't come to Christ yet and he has a name for them right here in these pews. There's room. There's a lot of room here. There's a lot of love here. We've got to go find those lost sheep. Need to bring them home. Doesn't take programs. It just takes life touching life. Patiently walking with people that don't know Christ. Getting to know them. Loving them. Serving them. Listening to them. Sharing your life with them. So practically then, I've already tipped the hat there, but how does this happen? We must experience, first of all, the life-reforming effects of God's word. You have to experience that first. Your heart has to be warmed by the word of God. Are you set ablaze by the word of God in your own life? Have you experienced the conviction of your sins, first of all? Have you experienced the newness of life in Jesus Christ yourself? Do you love Christ yourself? It will be evidence to the loss if you do. Has God's word transformed you personally? And also we need to understand this truth. When, when you go forth to preach the gospel to the lost through life-touching life, following Jesus, leading people to Jesus, you have to go forth with these truths that God's word is sufficient. It's not about you. It's about Christ, right? And when you live that way, this is natural. But in verses 13 through 16, this is what we see. This is how it happened. But now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have what? My joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. So when you go forth to give the word to others, are they always going to respond well to you? No. Understand that you're going to strike out sometimes, aren't you? Is everybody going to love you at your workplace if you love Christ? We need to think about this. In your place of business, is everyone to love you because you're a Christian? Sometimes not. And he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Why is that? Because he wants them here. He wants you here. He wants you working where you're working to make a difference. It's not just to earn a paycheck. It's to make a life change. He has you everywhere you are to leverage where you're at to show the glory of Christ. Does that make sense? Your job your business, where, where you like to enjoy recreation. Are you going to run into people sometimes who don't know Christ? You ought to. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's what he's praying for. He doesn't want you out of this world. He simply wants you hedged in from the evil one, and Christ prays for that. That gives you room, and it gives you opportunity to go forth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So, let me ask you this then. Is God's word sufficient for you? Are you joyful in the word of God and in knowing Christ? And is it sufficient for you? We also see here in verses 15 and 16 that his truth, his word, by his prayer, separates us from the evil one. We have a new nature. We are not of the world, but we are in this world. We're not to continue that sin but we ought to realize it's sufficient for us and it separates us from the evil one and it separates us from this world though we are in it. But I also want us to be highly encouraged as you go forth with the word of God. And this is very, very important. Christ is praying for you that you will be sanctified in truth. If you're struggling today, how many of you are struggling? Just in your heart, struggling with sin, struggling with hang-ups. Understand this. 
The process of sanctification is meant to be hard. You're like, oh, that's great. That's encouraging. It's meant to be hard. If it were easy, would you get stronger? I don't think so. It's like this. If, you're, uh, if, if any of you have been exercising before, um, if you've been exercising before, does it really do any good for a year straight to just never change the, the weights that you're racking? Or do you have to push yourself? You guys are swimmers. If you weren't consistently pushing yourself, would you get any better? No. It's common sense, isn't it? Christ left us in this world He knows there's an evil one. He knows that there's sin, that there's hardship. You are not going to get stronger if you're not forced to apply the word of God to your life through work. But also understand this too, that he is praying for you because he knows he's been there, hasn't he? You have a high priest who understands you. He's been tempted in every way like you've been tempted. That ought to encourage you. As you are battling sin, putting off sin and walking in the course of this world, We ought to continue repenting. We ought to continue uh, being sanctified by the word of God, putting the word of God into our life. And let me tell you this. If you're not doing that, you're not going to be spreading the word of God. You cannot spread the word of God effectively to sinners if you're just like them. God says, be holy as I am holy. If you're going to go share the truth with somebody, they ought to see that there's a difference. That you don't participate in the same things that they participate in. doesn't make you better than them at all. But there ought to be a noticeable change. Because their question is going to be, well, what am I freed from? What are you freed from? The power of sin. Right? If you go forth to preach the gospel with people and you have no life change... They're going to be like, I don't need that. There ought to be a noticeable difference. We are called to be holy as he is holy. And let me tell you this too. If you want to make a difference in this world, church, be involved in the mission and the life of the church of growing in the knowledge of Christ and taking that message into all of your life and into every aspect of the world. You've got to start at home first in your marriage. Are you applying the word of God in your marriage? That's your closest disciple, by the way. That's disciple one. Are you sharing the gospel? Is the word changing your children? That's number two. Thirdly, after that, you go out from there, don't you? Who's your closest neighbor? Is your partner, your spouse, your children, your home. Your next closest neighbor is probably in your workplace. In your workplace. Are you sharing the, God, the word of God with those that you work with? The word of God ought to be spreading into every aspect of society. It ought to change everything. We need people who are changed by the gospel going to all parts of society, whether it's politics, medicine, science, engineering, blue-collar careers, factories. doesn't matter. Wherever God has placed you, make a difference through the word of God. I pray that God raises up our children to be fearless world changers through his power of the gospel into all aspects of society. That's how you change society. I believe that we are soft and that we are fearful. And we need God's help. We need to remember that he prays for you. He prays for me. Yet he has called us something. We are more than conquerors. 
through him who loved us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in your marriage, with your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your co-workers. We must live out God's word for the salvation of others and for the good of the saints. Read verses 20 through 22. Do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Okay? So it's for all of those out there who will believe. And, and you need to ask yourself this. Do I believe that there are people out there who have yet to believe? That God wants me to be a part of bringing to faith? Do you believe that? Let me, let me just tell you this. If you're saved, you are not called to sit. You're called to be sent. Right through your life organically. Wherever you're at. To see sinners become saints. We have not been taken out of the world, but rather we are left in the world with the message of the gospel to affect society at large. For too long, Christians have sat back and done nothing. And consequently, one consequence of that is over 60, 70 million abortions on our soil under our stars and stripes. Because we have been faithless. Praise God, He's faithful. But we have been faithless. The word of God must go forth to affect society. It is not just for us here to sit here and look to ourselves. We also ought to learn love and therefore respond in the love of God. We are not to make it about us. We are just a means to an end. The means to the end is us just going forth. God chooses to use disciples to make more disciples. And here's why. It's about the glory of God and it's about the power of the word of God. It is not about your power or my power. Praise God. The very end, it says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's about the love and the glory of God. So the word of God drives that. Some lessons we can learn today in application. You want to make a change in this world, we must look for opportunities to share the word so that many will come to know Christ. Do you pray for that? Christ prayed a lot, didn't he? We've got a prayer right here. What is the content of that prayer? Disciples make disciples. He wants to see that continue. That is the plan from the, before the foundation of the world. That is why Christ came, to see disciples make disciples. And the power is in the cross, his second work and the highest work. That is why we go forth. Do you pray for opportunities to show and share and teach the word of God? Do you pray in faith believing? Pray in faith believing and pray knowing that you have a high priest who believes in this mission and in this method. We don't need any other mission or method. I think it'd be really good to strip out all other, mission, all other programs until this one is center. Disciples make disciples. Do we understand the word of God enough that it has changed the way that I personally live? 
Are you actively growing in the knowledge of God week by week? That's first. If you're not growing in the knowledge of God, you're not going to be sharing the knowledge of God. And here's a hard test. Does my family see that I am being changed by the word of God? How is it going in the home? Do the children see the word of God changing and shaping you? says this, for this is how the holy women of the past adorned themselves. They put their hope in God and were submissive to their husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, and you are her children if you do what is right and refuse to give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as a delicate vessel and with honor as fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. So how are we doing with that? Wives, are you submitting and obeying your husbands? Husbands, are you loving your wives? Children, you're not off the hook. How are you obeying mom and dad? If we're not doing these simple things well at home, manifest, showing the gospel in our life through the word of God, it's not going to spread out from there. Lastly, this morning, I want you to think of one person, every one of you. I want you to think of one person that you know who doesn't know Christ, and I want you to just simply do this. Start praying for them. Start praying. And I guarantee you, if you just simply start praying just for that one person to come to know Christ, watch what happens to your heart. The love that you'll start to have for them. God will take care of the opportunity because he'll give it to you. And be prepared. And remember, the power is not in you, in your technique, in your manipulation, The power is in simply, what do I know about Christ? Share that with them. Model it for them. Show them the love of Christ. And just simply see what happens. My prayer is that over this next couple of years, that every single one of us who attends this church brings one person to know Christ. And you can't manufacture that. The Spirit has to do that. We didn't have time to get into that today. The Spirit of God has to open their eyes, but you need to open your mouth. That's just simple obedience. So let's pray for that to happen. Let's ask God to give each and every one of us an opportunity over the coming years, however long it takes. Could take a lifetime to see one person come to Christ. And at the end of the day, we have to pray the will of the Father. But I think we know what his will is. That many come to know him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you knowing that Christ prays for us. What encouragement that brings to know that he prays for us. Father, today we have seen your heart and your will, and your will is that disciples make disciples. Father, may we at Pine Grove, filled with joy and filled with encouragement, go forth to simply walk in obedience to pray for opportunities, search for opportunities, look for opportunities to simply through life-touching life follow Jesus and lead people to Jesus through the scriptures. Father, use us. Use every one of us to model the truth that we've been given, to understand that we are all stewards of this truth that has been entrusted to us. Father, we need your boldness. We are not bold, we are weak. We remember that they prayed for boldness in Acts. So, Father, we pray for boldness today. 
Give us courage, Father, to not just live out the truth, but give it to at least one person that we know who doesn't know you. Father, there are many that you desire to be grafted into the church of Christ here at Pine Grove, to be interwoven into this, the fabric of this faith family. I pray, Father, that over the years, life by life, that many in Rhinelander would come to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to come to saving faith, to come and worship with us, to glorify your name. Father, we long to see many worshipers made. So, Father, do that. Use this church. Father, we love you. We love your word. We, we love to worship. We love to fellowship. I pray, Father, that we would love to evangelize. To simply, through stuttering and through, through whatever means, that we would just simply open our mouths and share Christ with others. Father, even if that just simply means starting out through inviting someone to church, would you do that? That they may come here and say, certainly God is in this place and hear the word open to them. Father, give us, first of all, a desire to see many come to know Christ. May it start first in our homes, in our marriages. Would we, through life-touching life, lead each other through the word of God to your glory with our children, with our grandchildren, will we do that? With our neighbors, our co-workers then, Father. Would the gospel spread from this church and go forth? Father, this is Christ's prayer. This is your heart. This is your will. Would it be done? In Christ's name, amen.